Hey, Goal Achievers, welcome to the Elite Achievement Community. I'm Kristen Burke, your host and coach here to demystify the goal achievement process. If you are ambitious and visionary, then let's get to work so you can maximize your potential and achieve your definition of success. Hey, Goal Achievers, welcome back to Elite Achievement. I'm going to open with a quote here today. Everything rises and falls on leadership, a quote by John Maxwell. Leadership is a critically important topic for us to explore because leaders set the vision for their organization and their teams. Leaders play a key role in ensuring that goals are achieved and that team members are growing and that the organization is thriving. So if you are a leader of a team, if you are a leader for your clients, or if you have people that work for you, this episode is for you. In order to explore the topic of leadership, I've invited Dr. Mira Bronku, the CEO and founder of Bronku & Associates, a leadership team and organization consulting firm that serves as a strategic partner to executives and their teams wanting to lead well today and better navigate tomorrow. Mira brings over 20 years of experience in academia and healthcare, including an award-winning career at the U.S. Department of Veteran Affairs. Mira is a licensed psychologist who holds a PhD in clinical psychology and a master's degree in counseling. Welcome, Mira. Thank you, Kristen. Uh, Very excited to be here and to talk about rising and falling with um, grace as a leader. Oh, that is fabulous, Mira, that you started with that word grace. I talk Mm -hmm. about having grace a lot with my clients. And I don't know if you find this to be true in some of your work and your research, but I think women sometimes struggle giving themselves a little bit of grace. I completely agree. Yeah. And and whether it's because of the messages we've gotten or the pressure we put on ourselves or expectations or whatever, our own expectations often are higher than others. And I love that idea of thinking about how to be compassionate with ourselves as we are often compassionate with other people, right? Yeah. I definitely do not treat myself the same way that I treat others. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that funny? I listen for it all the time with my clients. I'm on a journey to work through that. So tell us a little bit more about the work that you do at Branku and Associates. Yes. And I love that you said that you're on a journey because Mm -hmm. this company is a journey. I feel like leadership is a journey. I feel like developing a company is a journey and the best of us who are um, interested in developing and growing and helping others do the same are constantly doing that with our businesses. So I will tell you what we're doing right now. Bronco and Associates is a boutique social entrepreneurship. It's award-winning for that social entrepreneurship. Um, And it specializes in strategic and inclusive leadership and team development practices. So um, we do focus on healthcare, academic, tech, and innovation industries. Um, while also giving back to social causes and specifically gender and racial um, diversity. The thing that we're focusing on right now is expanding, and I love that we're talking about this, expanding how we think about leadership development 
and moving away from a static, competency-based, individually-focused model into a dynamic, developmental, team-based model. And I have a special interest in how that plays out for women in the workplace, um, which is what I write about in my Psychology Today blog series on um, women's leadership. And that is luckily getting more and more interest and attention um, by organizations who want to do better with that. So that's kind of what we're focusing on right now. Tell us more about the shift away from a competency individual-based model. How did you decide to really focus on this? What's important for us to know about this shift? There's more and more research out there within the world of leadership development around this, that leader development is outdated, where there's the model of the single leader who needs to know some very static, specific skills. And once you know those skills, hurrah, you'll be a success forever and ever, right? And um, that is a really outdated model. Right now, as we've been talking about this journey, right? A journey of growth. And we live right now in a constantly changing world that is more and more complex and requires an understanding of multiple social systems and its impact on people, uh, whether you're at work or outside of work. And um, so that requires a much more complicated um, set of skills, a higher level ability to understand systems, to understand teams and how to leverage the teams around you, being the leader of teams. And organizations are made of teams of people, right? So if you think of yourself as one individual developing yourself, you're missing an awful lot. And so these days, it's much more important to sort of understand concepts like collective or shared or distributive leadership or um, leadership teams or teaming. These are all concepts that are bubbling up to the top as the requirements for working in what's called a volatile, uncertain, complex, ambiguous world, VUCA, which is a term coined by the military, but now is often used within the business world. Well, it sounds like this is work that if you choose to step into leadership will be ongoing as the world continues to evolve and change. Yes. And I really think that um, uh, uh, leaders these days, if they can sort of step into that and embrace that, will be much more adaptable and resilient um, because they will be constantly embracing the reality of um needing to adapt, needing to change, needing to pivot, um, and taking in sort of multiple perspectives in order to be able to to do all of that. And it Mm -hmm. makes you a much sort of stronger, more effective person also. I can hear a lot of seeking to understand and suspending judgment that uh, will need to occur for this to happen. I think for leaders to be able to adapt and pivot and change. You're right. It does take uh, some level of humility, you know, but also some level of embracing like it's okay to make mistakes. It's okay to fail. Don't even call it a failure. It's just continuous improvement. When for the work that we do in the Department of Veterans Affairs, it's very much focused on that continuous improvement process and embracing that we're always in a constant sort of evolutionary phase. 
we started to uncover some aspects of a good leader. Um, Mira, in your opinion, what makes a good leader? This is funny because just last night, I was in a meeting with our local organizational development association, and our leader, Bob Stapleton, was asking us, think back to a leader that made a difference for you. You know, that person was a really amazing leader. How would you describe them, right? So we all kind of shared our experiences. And for listeners, think about your own leader, your favorite leader, what made them so different, so special, and really good. And what I shared that it seemed to resonate and connect with a lot of what other people shared was, number one, um, to be able to recognize that um, you can't do everything alone. You can't be everything to everybody, right? And and going back to what we were talking about, in today's complex world, you need to know how to develop and nurture a team, a collaborative, inclusive leadership team that complements each other, that knows how to help an organization weather ongoing uncertainty. So that's one. The second is that um, someone who isn't just interested in efficiency and productivity, um, but again, can develop other people. So they're sort of relationally oriented. They're strengths-based oriented. They can, um, it's like somebody who's interested in going beyond just being a supervisor, but also a coach and a mentor. And then, of course, somebody who can create a clear vision, communicate it, and create the systems that allow people the flexibility to implement that vision and understand the people side of change to be able to implement complex change. Mm. What would you add to that? As you started sharing who is a good leader, my high school dance team coach comes to mind. Mm. And the thing I appreciated most about my high school dance team coach was that she had incredibly high expectations. Oh, interesting. that's where I first started to learn that gift of high expectations. And as a result, we won a national championship my junior year in high school. So I I think that's where I started to really make that association of expectations and results. And I'm sure some of my clients listening are laughing as they hear me talk about words that they hear me use a lot in our coaching conversations. And then I fast forward to my first managing partner when I was working in financial services before launching my coaching business. And the the thing that I remember the most about my first managing partner is the relationship aspect. He was gifted at building relationships with people and helping people feel really important. Mm. I was an intern uh, on his team and I felt just as important as some of the other high-level leaders in the organization. And I, I thought, wow, that was really a gift. And that reminds me about the, the quote, and I, I don't remember who exactly said it, but people will forget what you say and people mm. will forget what you do, but people will never forget the way that you make them feel. Yes. Maya Angelou. Yes. Ah, perfect. Yes. <laughs> yes. And what an incredible gift to be able to see everyone there on the team and who's bringing what to the table. Are you enjoying this episode and feeling encouraged to take the next step towards maximizing your potential? Don't let that energy pass you by. Goal achievers consistently take action to achieve great success. Grab your free breakout plan right now at kristenburk.com to begin your journey today. 
that was a really unique experience. And I think that really connects to the point that you made around being relationally oriented and a strengths-based leader. What are some recommendations you have, Mira, for leaders to build better and deeper trusting relationships? Um, yeah, it sounds easy, doesn't it? Right. <laughs> Just build a trusting Just, relationship. Right. Yeah. <sighs> what I notice a lot with the teams that I work with um, on team development is how little time they have ever spent getting to know each other mm-hmm. or reflecting on how they work or sharing their values and what they're bringing to work with them as if work was somehow severed separately from life. We talk about work-life balance. Obviously, we've learned now that it's part of our life. Work is Mm -hmm. part of our life and there is no separation. And so to not spend any time with your work colleagues sharing anything about what's important to you um, makes it really hard for you to build a trusting relationship where um, you know where somebody's coming from. And um, you're not making assumptions about their intentions, for example. Um, Once you allow yourself the time to actually understand each other, your perspectives, your work style, um, who you are uh, coming to work and um, what's important to you, it's so much easier to not make assumptions about each other and to connect at a much deeper level. I can't tell you how many times I go through a team development process where people have been working for with each other for like 10, 15 years. And it was like the first time they learned, oh, you have a daughter? <laughs> or, wow, that happened to you? That happened to me. Wait, you grew up where? I grew up there. And I know that sounds really simple, but this is how you make simple connections that grow into deeper connections. And it is the foundation of how you start engaging in productive conflict around ideas instead of conflict where you start assuming it's something about them that is the problem. I often hear a lot of struggle and challenge when it comes to building relationships. If there's a man leading a woman, I'll hear, well, I don't know how to build a relationship. And I I, I don't think it's appropriate to go out to lunch or to go to happy hour. And what I'm hearing you say is it's less about the location and it's more about the dialogue and getting to know one another and sharing values and how you work. What other insight do you have for men who might be leading women, women who are leading men, um, and how that can play out? Actually, I have a couple of blog posts on this in my Psychology Today blog series. One is on mentoring relationships and another is actually, they're probably both on mentoring relationships. One was written right in the height of the Me Too movement. And when men were really nervous just to even be in a room with a woman alone, because what if? What if I I get blamed for whatever? And so I talked a lot about knowing how to gauge appropriate professional boundaries and create professional mentoring relationships that are mutually beneficial and things like that. So people could look that up. I would say in addition, these days, I think the thing that pops up most is number one, start offering programs and support that um, help women with promotion ready opportunities. 
So sometimes what happens is women are over-mentored in how to continue improving managing relationships at work. And that sort of gets into the weird cycle of feedback they don't need. (laughs) So listening to just, you know, asking about what are their career aspirations and interests and thinking about how can I link you up with opportunities to connect. I think what you're getting at here, um, which is also really important, is training all leaders to be better mentors and coaches to emerging leaders. So regardless of gender, we really need a lot more of that. How can you be a better mentor and coach and not just sort of like a supervisor? And then, of course, there's always conducting things like workplace assessments for gender diversity, equity practices. Are we sort of creating an environment where there are equal access to opportunities, whether it's men, women, non-binary, that what's most important is what are the practices that we have internally that support all talented people to have the same opportunities, right? Absolutely. You mentioned we should start to think about becoming better coaches or better Mm. mentors. What are some steps a leader can take to become a better coach or a better mentor? Let's separate this out a little because I know some people get confused between supervisor, coach, mentor, leader, all of these sort of terms, sponsor, which is an important one, right? And I sort of touched on the sponsorship. So a supervisor is somebody administratively on record to evaluate your performance at work. You don't have to go beyond that to be a supervisor. Great supervisors are interested in also being a mentor and coaching up their leaders, but not all. So sometimes I even say to leaders, okay, you might want to explain to your um, supervisees, okay, I'm going to put on my mentorship hat on now. I'm going to put on my coach hat now. Okay, now I'm putting back my supervision hat so I can give you hard feedback. So people aren't getting confused between those roles and what you're trying to do to help them. So let's say I'm taking off the supervision hat. I've given you some tough feedback about your performance, but now I really want you to grow. Now I'm entering the coaching and mentorship relationship, right? Where I want to see you succeed and I want to figure out what might be like a barrier or how I might sort of like help you get unstuck in some area. That Now we're entering coaching or mentorship. Now, what if you say, I um, have a career aspiration to be a leader and um, I don't know where to start and I really want to get more experiences. If I want to now put on a sponsorship hat, it means that whether you're around or not, I'm using my social capital to promote and advocate for you getting those opportunities. For example, in some other meeting, hearing about an opportunity that you just told me you were interested in, and then me saying, oh, you know who'd be great at that? Mary, I would love to see her in that position. Can we see if we can give her something like that, an opportunity like that? Now that's sponsoring because you're sort of pushing to promotion potential. A lot of it is learning the different roles and then learning how to shift between them and then being clear about it. That is such a helpful discussion because I've never thought 
clearly about the three different roles, supervisor, coach slash mentor, sponsor. And I appreciate how you help us understand the different responsibilities and that one person can be really all of them at different times for different people. Yes. And to add to that, even though one person can be all of those things, I do think that we all need multiple mentors and even multiple sponsors when possible, because one person cannot be all things to you. And that is not fair to them. It is a lot of pressure to expect them to fill all your needs professionally. And they only offer one perspective. So uh, being able to gather multiple perspectives from different people you admire, and they don't have to be formal. Like I have mentors who don't even know they're my mentors. You know, same (laughs) deep inside, I'm like, this is an amazing person and I'm learning so much from them. I've had people who I consider mentors who are my supervisees, who are my peers. It's just people who I learn from and grow from. And that helped me with my career. I think that's such an important point. It doesn't have to be formal. And will you be my mentor? Some of my mentors are other podcast hosts or authors, like you said, people that I've actually never met. Right. They do not even know I exist. And they are a huge mentor in my life. Mira, what are some mistakes you have seen leaders make? So one is when you think you could do it all on your own or that you know the best thing to do. Mm -hmm. That is a real blind spot. The moment I see a leader go it alone and make independent decisions without including folks, I start getting worried that they're not realizing exactly what they're missing. Not creating a culture of learning, growth, and continuous improvement these days, I think is a big mistake. You could have probably gotten away with that like 10 20 years ago, but these days I think it is a mistake. And um, finally, not progressing in your leadership development from um, learning how to be an individual leader to being a leader of leaders and teams, which is the systems level thinking that I mentioned before. You mentioned that one of the things leaders need to think about today is creating a culture of learning and growing. What are some additional things leaders today need to be thinking about? You caught me on one of these days where I've been like deep in thought about this because um, there's been so much turmoil happening right now. And I feel like the last two years, okay, let's be honest, the last two years um, in the world. And it's been um, stressful for leaders as much as it's been stressful for employees. And I have had leaders and colleagues coming to me, asking me wide ranges of questions from how do we manage our teams in Russia and Ukraine um, during this war that's happening and their fear and their outrage to how do I talk to my kids about the school shootings and how do I pretend everything is fine with ongoing racially motivated killings and all kinds of stressors that are adding to the layers of things that leaders need to be thinking about. And some leaders are thinking about it, but I feel like not all. And the ones who are, are on the other end of the spectrum, almost feeling stuck, overburdened, exhausted, maybe burned out. We have a lot of healthcare leaders 
that are stretched so thin, nearing the verge of, if not already burned out, they're supporting their staff. They're thinking about how do I find the right time and method for how to communicate this yet another new thing. Um, They're processing their own feelings. They're helping their families with whatever reactions are happening. They're managing their stress levels. They're supporting all kinds of levels and factors, right? So what do they need? What does it take right now? I think one thing is up until recently, we haven't focused enough on leadership identity and knowing yourself well enough to reflect what am I experiencing now? What do I need now? How much do I need to stop right now and take a step back? Do I need additional help and support before I move forward? Am I moving too fast? Um, Is this about me or is it about something else? Is it about pressure coming from the outside, pressure coming from the side? So all of that is leadership identity stuff that we haven't been talking a lot about. And the sort of moving into developing mindset of more collective teaming or team level leadership so that you're not alone, so that you're all working together, you're all complementing each other, you're you're leaning on each other, you're levering each, each other's strengths. Are we promoting that at work um, when we see that in leaders? Do we even recognize that there are some people who have conquered this, done an amazing job with the multitasking and the managing of lots of stressful things in their lives and work and have developed a level of resilience that actually makes them an amazing potential future leader. So that's kind of what's been on my mind. I haven't formalized, you know, everything, but um, as you can hear, I'm like processing through all of these ideas. Well, it's a huge topic and and I'm sure there's a, a lot of things to think through. And you mentioned, Mira, leadership identity and mm. how important important it is for leaders today to know themselves, to navigate all these uncertain times and um, times of heightened emotions. How can a leader figure out their identity? Good question. Yeah. You know, you just know. (laughs) Just kidding. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) No, really. So assessments, I'm a big, big proponent of ongoing engagement in lots of different kinds of assessments to get feedback and to get to know yourself. Some people know themselves really well, but most of us need multiple inputs of feedback and how other people see ourselves as well. The other is thinking about the way we started today. Think about who do you admire as a leader and why. Reflect on what you want to take from that and who do you not admire and why. What is it about that? And sort of formulating, what does that mean about how I want to show up in the world? And for example, I go into all spaces um, having identified that I want to very intentionally always show up with empathy, compassion, and kindness. And it's a very intentional decision in any space I'm at. Am I showing up that way? Um, The other uh, things to think about is um, we've talked about mentors. So creating kind of a trusted body of mentors or board of directors to give you honest feedback to help you grow. Um, And 
Then finally, consider some outside objective sources, like a coach who is trained in how to help you do all of this effectively and reflect on what you're learning as you go along and learn how to incorporate it in a way that that helps you keep growing, keep going. That connects with our theme we've been talking about throughout our discussion, a journey. We're we're on a journey to grow and develop as better leaders. And for any of our listeners who are curious, I am an Enneagram 3 and I am ENFJ on Myers-Briggs. So those are two of the assessments that come quickly to my mind. Yeah. We're almost the opposite. (laughs) Really? INTP, technically, although I am a pretend extrovert, I have to say. (laughs) Okay. I would have never guessed just based on how we connected before we started chatting in our dialogue here today, but I, I think there's so much helpful information in those assessments for yourself and as you're leading others. So let's talk for a few minutes minutes about women in organizations and how they can grow and develop as leaders. What advice do you have for women seeking leadership roles, specifically in male-dominated industries? So let me just preface this by saying that what I don't want to recommend is um, sort of the typical, outdated, women-need-fixing model. They do not need fixing. We have the same leadership skills as men that research has been shown over and over and over again. So it kind of drives me crazy when there's all this advice that is provided to women about how to exude more confidence and how to demonstrate your executive presence when the message behind that is you don't fit in and here's how you can be more like everyone around you, which by the way, are all men. (laughs) So Let's put that aside for a second here and think like what realistically, practically, pragmatically, um, what makes sense. So the one thing that we've talked about a lot is mentors, right? So find the allies and mentors in your organizations. They do not have to be in your department. In fact, it's even better if you could find them like across the organization. And these people are people who um, are not trying to compete with you who you can develop a mutually beneficial relationship. So you can help them, they can help you, you're working together on things. And in these cases, I don't think that gender matters as much as those qualities. And then with them, ask them for what you need. So for example, ask them to help you address biases. Like, hey, if you notice people interrupting me or taking my ideas or ignoring what I'm saying in meetings, um, can you say something like, hold on, I'd like to see what Mary's saying. Or, oh yeah, uh, Mira was just saying that idea. Mira, can you share a little bit more about that? And I'll do the same for you if I see the same thing. So that's one, creating those mutually beneficial, supportive allies. We mentioned this before, telling your mentors what you want to be doing in your career, and even taking it a step further and asking, if you hear about an opportunity where I could learn more about strategic planning, can you connect me with that opportunity? So being a little bit more strategic and intentional about asking for what you're looking for. If you're not sure what you're looking for, then engaging in those conversations. I really want to grow into a leadership career. What does it take at this organization, right? And then finally, seeking roles that help you diversify your portfolio. I mentioned this before, a lot of women are over-mentored into staffing positions because they're great at the relational stuff. And so they continue to be encouraged to go into the relational stuff. 
And so making sure that you're not overlooking for yourself and you're also asking to not be overlooked for um, learning every aspect of the business. So can I find out more about sales? Can I find out more about marketing? Can I find out more about the financials? Can I get involved in budgeting? Can I get involved in um, the strategy? Um, so that you're always evaluating and diversifying your portfolio uh, for the best return on your investment in that company. So for the women who make it into a leadership role, why are you seeing women leave that mm. leadership role that they probably worked so hard to get into? It is very frustrating and totally understandable. So in my Psychology Today blog series, the most recent blog post was about why women leave leadership and what to do about it. And the research is showing recently that they are feeling overworked and undervalued and underappreciated. And they're getting exhausted by it all and frustrated by it all. And they are experiencing being stretched thin between all of their roles they are being encouraged to take on informal leadership roles like, hey, can you serve on this committee? Hey, I'd love you to take over this project. And uh, that's nice that they're sort of being valued in that way, but um, it, it becomes really exhausting. And I talk a lot more about in this article, but I share seven steps in there for different ways that companies can really consider what they can do to really position women to continue getting the support, the promotional opportunities, but also helping companies consider how to evaluate their equitable practices and make adjustments that are necessary. How can companies and organizations track their progress around women in leadership and track how they're retaining women leaders? I love this question because you said track. Most aren't tracking. Okay. So that's, is part of the key, right? Continuously measure everything that's important to you. If you're not measuring it, it's not important to you. So I'll just say like, that's the bottom line, right? That's the level of accountability that you need to place on yourself as a leader, on yourself as an organization. And very few people do it from a psychologist perspective. It is the difference between learning and implementation and um, turning something into an actual habit. It's as simple as that. It's just habits. And we're all stuck in our own routine habits. And some of those habits are not healthy, right? Like if you just think about like your personal habits, if you don't exercise all the time, if you don't eat healthy, if you don't sleep, it takes a lot of monitoring and tracking and measuring. And when you do, you eventually get into a habit and it becomes normal and then you don't have to track it anymore. So that is exactly the same with desires to retain women. And so let me just like give you an example of my own company. I want to practice what I preach, right? So I measure how many women, especially women of color, I hire I mentor, I highlight in my work, and then I share those results with the public, with my stakeholders, with my clients, 
so that I can shame myself if I don't achieve my goals <laughs> publicly. And or I can celebrate my successes and actually see that I'm making a difference. You can easily do the same. Like if I can do it, you know, me, myself, and I, an organization can do this. So you build it into performance feedback, you build it into your bonuses, all tied to those measures. And then you celebrate when you, you know, achieve certain milestones. All of that helps you with accountability. So Um, What I could share if you're interested with your audience is I have this um, free um, guide that helps companies evaluate their gender diversity and inclusion practices. I have eight domains that you can look at and check and evaluate, and I'm happy to share that. And I'm also happy to share the scorecard that I keep and share at the end of the year for my own company, just like as examples of how you can do it. Mira, this has been an incredibly insightful conversation. We've covered so many topics today. Where can our leaders go to learn more about you and your strategic leadership pathway program? Thanks for asking. So um, I do have a new strategic leadership pathway program for women in IT, tech, and um, academic and healthcare industries. And um, to learn more, just go to my website, www.broncoassociates.com, B-R-A-N-C-U associates.com. And of course, you could always find me on social media, LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, all the things. Mira, thank you so much for your insight. Absolutely. Happy to share. And I'm happy to also share um, a number of the things that I referenced today as um, you know free links and things for your audience. That would be wonderful. And we'll make sure we include that information in show notes. With that, goal achievers, keep celebrating your weekly wins, noting your lessons learned, and identify your priorities for next week so you can continuously pursue progress in the direction of your goals. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you are feeling inspired and want to join the Goal Achievers community, visit my website, kristenberg.com to sign up and get connected. We can also hang out socially on Instagram. Follow me at Meet Kristen Burke. Links are in the show notes. Don't forget to rate, review, and share this show. Until next time, goal achievers, keep progressing toward your goals and celebrate those weekly wins.